Hi there, this is Watching and you are now listening to I Choose the Ladder, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. In today's episode, you meet Sheila Talton, President and Chief Executive Officer of Gray Matter Analytics. Sheila is an innovative global leader and big data strategist with over 30 years of experience in helping organizations increase value, build successful businesses within larger companies, and expand into emerging markets. Her experience in governance extends to corporate, civic, and not-for-profit sectors. Currently serving on the board of Deer & Company, Wintrust Financial Corporation, OGE Energy Corp., Chicago's Northwestern Memorial Hospital Foundation, the Chicago Network, the Chicago Shakespeare Theater, the Urban League, and Cisco Corporation. She was a founding member and chairperson of the Information Technology Senior Management Forum, where she continues to serve on their advisory board. She also served on the advisory committee to the board selection committee for Agenda, a financial times company. She was the founder and CEO of Unisource Network Services. She was a managing partner at Ernst & Young, Cat Gemini, president of EDS's Business Processing Information Services, and the vice president of globalization officer for Cisco Systems in China and South America. She currently serves on the boards of companies focused on agriculture, finance, energy, healthcare, food services, and the performing arts. Most recently, she was designated a woman of influence by the Chicago Business Journal and an honoree in those having significant impact on business and technology by Tech Week. She's a graduate of Northern Illinois University and Harvard Business School's Advanced Management Program. As you will hear in this um, interview, Sheila is very direct. Um, she has a ton of experience that I think could be beneficial regardless of where you are in your career. If you're someone who's thinking about making a leap from corporate to entrepreneurship, there will also be tons and tons of gems in this for you to help you prepare for that potential transition. So as always, grab your notebook, grab a pen, and get ready to catch this good word. Sheila, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. I know I harassed you for months and months because I've heard such great things about you. So thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Um, so the first question, I think when people see your title, hear about your job, they get intimidated, but they don't even know what you do. So if you could, like, in very basic terms, like explain like what it is that you actually do. I run a software company focused in healthcare. Okay. And what we do is help healthcare providers, hospital systems, and payers, insurers, like Blue Cross Blue Shield, okay. around the country, manage data and use analytics to improve the outcomes for patients and members. Okay. So when you say that, I'm like, hold on a minute, because you are black and a woman, and we talk about how in STEM and like the engineering field, like there's just not a lot of you. So how do you end up doing this for a living? Well, when I was in college, I only interviewed with three technology companies. I knew I wanted to be in technology, and you're right. Most of the time, I was the only one in the room. Mm. And what piqued that interest for you? Actually, I thought a lot about discrimination, both gender as well as race. Mm. And during that time, there was a big shortage of technology people, and I figured, you know, if I'm good at it, I'll be able to excel because there's a shortage of talent. Um, and thinking back to the first, you know, your first corporate job, because now you are the boss, and we'll talk about the pressures of that a little bit later. But thinking back to your first job, like, do you were you prepared? Like, were you did you have parents who were in the corporate setting who kind of helped shepherd you into that, or like, how did you prepare yourself for that first job? 
No, my parents weren't in the corporate environment. I had an aunt that was, but okay. my parents were not. But I had to learn a lot as I went. Mm. And then I found role models along the way, most of the time men, because mm. there weren't many women, whether uh, uh, African-American or Caucasian. Mm -hmm. um, so most of the time my mentors were men. And how did you find your mentors? I think that's something that we, you know, you hear a lot that mentors play a pivotal role in your career and your development. But I think a lot of people, especially if they don't have that background or they don't have family, it's a challenge to figure out how do you get a mentor? And then once you have one, like, what are you supposed to do with them? And so what did you do? How did you find your mentors? Well, I have to admit, they found me. Mm. In each of my roles, there was always someone that sought me out and maybe there was something they saw in me, mm -hmm. but just took me under their arm and said, you know, this is how you do this. This is what I want you to do next. And it's not just having a mentor. Mm -hmm. You end up having what I call a portfolio of mentors. Ooh, what does that mean? That means that you have mentors for different aspects of your career. Mm -hmm. In some cases, it might be around getting to the next job. In other cases, it might be how to maneuver a political situation mm -hmm. inside of a company. Mm -hmm. So having multiple mentors is always good. Mm. And in hindsight now, you know, you said they might have seen something in you. Looking back on that younger you, what do you think it is that they saw? I think that they saw hardworking, mm. thoughtful, and determined individuals. Mm. And as someone who now, like you mentor other people, what is something that you look for in someone who seeks you out as a mentor? Like, is there certain characteristics or character traits that you think are important to be a good mentee? Yeah, because the first thing I look at is if they are investing in themselves, mm. then they are ready to have a mentor. If Ooh. they're not investing in themselves, they're not ready to have a mentor. What is investing in yourself? Ladies, I hope you're listening. You ask me this question all the time. So what does investing in yourself look like to you? How much time are you spending outside of your job in preparing to learn new things, whether that's formal learning mm -hmm. because you're taking an executive level class to mm -hmm. learn about something else, whether you're doing self-learning as far as learning a new skill, mm -hmm. whether you're willing to stretch yourself in your job and basically ask to take on tasks that you've never done before, mm -hmm. but you wanted to learn. Mm -hmm. So that's what I look for in investing in yourself. Um, how have you seen your industry or like technology in general change as it pertains to like having more um, women, black women in the STEM field? Like how have you seen it change over your career? I've seen a few more. Okay. <laughs> but the biggest change has been the acknowledgement mm. of a lot of the tech firms and the financiers in tech mm. that there is a void. So there's communication and discussion about the void and the shortage. Mm. That's the biggest change I've seen. Uh, and you are, you know, you started out working for someone, now you work for yourself. Looking back on the different career moves that you've made, how have you known when it was time to do something new? I've always known it was time to do something new when I was doing all the teaching and I wasn't learning. That's a good one. Huh, doing all the teaching not learning. So for you, knowledge and like expanding your own mental. Right. And I don't mind teaching and coaching other people, mm -hmm. but it's got to be a balance. Mm -hmm. I've got to be being stretched as well. Mm -hmm. And when I wasn't being stretched and I wasn't given new opportunities, I knew it was time for me to move on. Mm -hmm. And can you think back to a time where maybe you felt stuck? Because I think a lot of the conversations that we have 
in our group is, you know, people are in positions and they feel stuck and they feel kind of helpless, right? Like they're, they don't know what they can do to maybe advocate for themselves or what they can do to get unstuck. So when you feel stuck, what are some things or maybe some questions that you ask yourself that maybe help you, you know, get the gears rolling again? Well, I'm a very transparent, direct person. So when I have felt stuck, I've actually said that to my manager. Mm. I'm not being stretched. I'm not doing things that I know that I can do and or given the opportunity to try. Mm. And I not only communicate that to them, I've communicated that to some of their peers Mm -hmm. so that they know. And oftentimes I will volunteer or have volunteered to take on other work assignments for other executives so that I just be proactive and learn new things. And I, I often say to people who have worked for me in the past, you know, they say, well, how do I get my opportunity to get experience in something? And, and when you look at most organizations, there is no shortage of things to do. Mm. So be proactive and just go and do it mm. until somebody tells you to stop. And you just mentioned that you are very direct in your communication. I think that that can be perceived either way, right? So sometimes it's like, oh, she's so aggressive. So she's an angry black woman, all those things. Do you ever worry about those stereotypes and adjust your communication to reflect that? Or you just are who you are? Well, I can't say I don't adjust my communication, in particular when it comes to people who work for me, Mm -hmm. because oftentimes younger people, I have a lot of software developers and younger people, they are intimidated by the boss, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I do adjust my communication style for the people that work for me. But usually, most of the time, from a customer perspective and or from the board work I do, mm-hmm. they expect you to be direct. Mm-hmm. And so it's not seen as a hindrance, it's seen as a strength in those right. areas. Right, exactly. Um, so as you've become more senior, what three skills two or three skills have you had to develop personally that enable you now to be um, effective in your current role? So one skill that I feel that everyone should learn is how to be a continuous learner. Mm. The world, in particular the world in which we live in technology, is always changing. And thinking of being stuck, you can get stuck if you don't continue to refresh your skills learn about new technology. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest things that I think people should do is to learn how to be Mm self-taught. So that's number one. Good communication is extremely important. Mm -hmm. If you can't communicate your ideas and your thoughts, you can't be effective as a leader, Mm -hmm. right? Because you have to communicate to your teams, you have to communicate to your peers, the customers. So communication is extremely important. But on the other side of communication, I had a boss years ago that said to me, Sheila, seek to understand before being understood. So wait, repeat that. Seek to understand before being understood. Mm, Okay. So being a good listener is also really important. Mm. For you, though, as the CEO, I think people would be shocked to hear that, like, you're still continuing to learn, right? Because for Absolutely. most people, like, this is the top of the ladder. So, like, you've, you've learned it all, you've achieved it all, you've done it all. So what does continued learning look like for you at, at your level? Continued learning looks like a couple things for me. So I sit on three public company boards okay. in industries that, before getting on those boards, I had no knowledge of energy, food mm-hmm. distribution, mm-hmm or manufacturing of tractors and combines. 
wait, what? <laughs> what? So yes, I sit on John Deere's board, and I had no knowledge of manufacturing of tractors and combines or the business of a farm. So that those three things, those three boards have continually given me opportunities to learn more about different industries, operations, mm. how you know you manage the business, mm. business cycles. So on that aspect, I'm always learning from my board work. And in my work as CEO of Gray Matter, I'm always learning about new technologies that mm. can be applied in healthcare. Mm. Healthcare is a very complex uh, industry Mm -hmm. with what we focus on is the data, many, many different data sources, many different ways to apply data to improve the quality of care and reduce the cost of delivering care. Mm -hmm. So there's always new learnings there for me. And the regulations are always changing. the regulations are always changing. (laughs) So for going back to your board appointments, knowing that you you didn't know much about those industries, what gave you the confidence to say yes to the appointments? Well, um, back to learning. When I first got the call to join John Deere's board, my first thought was, I'm a technology person. What can I possibly contribute to John Deere? Mm. I've never even been on a farm. But I was open, okay. listened, and I learned that tractors and combines are just a platform for software. So when I started to investigate the opportunity and spoke to a number of John Deere executives, I learned a lot about how they were using technology. Mm. So that was my first learning. Um, In the area of the energy board that I sit on, I was fortunate that I had been working in China. And when I was at Cisco Systems, we actually developed some software and technology for smart buildings and smart meters. So that had applicability to Mm. OGE, um, the utility board that I sit on. Mm. And then in Cisco Foods, um, (laughs) it was really coincidental that when I was a Cisco Systems executive, I was the assigned executive for Cisco Foods. So I knew a little bit about their technology and some of the supply chain work that they had been doing to implement uh, new technology to manage warehouses. So it wasn't totally foreign to me. Got it. But the one thing you should also know, there's not an industry you can think of that technology hasn't disrupted and or been integrated to improve Mm. the overall product itself. You think about cars, you think about tractors, combines, Mm. right? So there's a a core there around the technology that is uniform across all of those industries. That makes sense. Um, I think one of the things that prevents people from taking bold, because I consider those bold moves, is the fear of making mistakes and then making mistakes on like a big stage, right? You're a CEO. If something you're done is perceived as a mistake, it's not just internal chatter. It's in the paper. It's here. It's there. And so how do you think about mistakes and how do you... Um, how do you deem a risk worth it or not based on where you sit? Well, those are two questions. So mm-hmm. I don't think about mistakes okay, um, because we're all human mm-hmm. and we all make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I actually believe that in management, showing your humanity and mm-hmm. your ability to acknowledge you make mistakes makes you a better leader. Mm-hmm. So I don't really think about mistakes. And I certainly have made them. Mm-hmm. 
when I think about risk, I think about risk as it relates to my board work and what is expected and the contribution I make there to manage risk for the shareholders. Mm. So I'm always thinking about risk as it relates to cyber risk and security around technology for all of the boards that I sit on. Mm. When I think about risk here at Gray Matter, I think about risk mainly as it pertains to me being a good shepherd to the employees that have entrusted me with their careers. Mm. So that's the risk that I balance, not so much for me, Mm -hmm. but for my employees and my customers who have entrusted us to deliver services and products to them. So those are the risks that I, and I'm very transparent about it also, especially with my employees and my customers. Mm. I don't say to my customers certain things that we have done and we haven't done. Mm. I ask them to partner with us, that we go through, the, go through this journey together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm very transparent about that. Mm-hmm. And same thing with my employees. They know that you know when you're in a startup environment, it's always a challenge to balance revenue, your costs, Mm -hmm. taking on new responsibilities, building technology. Software is not, um, it's more of a art, I would say, than a science, because when you're designing it, it's never going to be right the first time, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So the risk is making sure that you balance and leave enough lead time that when you actually have to deliver the product that you have adequate time to Mm -hmm. test Mm -hmm. and being transparent with your customer that we're going along this journey together. It's a journey. It's a journey. Um, So I think that people, and I don't know if it's people or the media or whatever, have done a really great job romanticizing what it means to be an entrepreneur and what it means to have your own company. Like you're vacationing all the time and you are out here on private jets and you know everybody and you know it's a tech company so you're raising billions you have your stilettos and your hair is blowing and at least that's what I think based on what I see on television and so the first question is what did you consider before deciding to start your own company because now it's like everybody who's 23 is like oh I got what it takes right like I can do this because I hear the stories so the, the, that's the first question what did you consider before deciding that you would take people's futures into your hand as a CEO of a company? Well, this is not my first time doing this. Okay. So I've gone in and out of big companies, and this is my second startup. Okay. The only thing I really considered were, were more around the market. Okay. Making sure that we were addressing a void that was in the market. Mm-hmm. Making sure that I could raise the capital that would be needed to get us to the place to where we can raise additional capital. The one thing you'll learn if you ever become an entrepreneur, you're always raising money. Mm. You never stop. You're always raising money. Whether it's in the public markets because you've gone public, but you're always raising money. Mm. So it was one, the market need, the demand for data analytics in healthcare, and then two, could I raise the money? Now, this time, I was fortunate enough that I had done well myself, mm. so I contributed a lot of the front-end money out, out of my own uh, money. Okay. So. Um, and then are there skills that you developed in corporate that you think help you be a better entrepreneur? Management skills. Mm. Um, you know, when you're in a large corporation, you have to balance a lot of different personalities. 
and <laughs> you can't allow yourself to get emotional mm. about challenging situations. Mm. And I see a lot of entrepreneurial companies that are run by 20-somethings, mm -hmm. and they lack the management skills to lead their teams and to also give their teams the confidence that they know how to manage complex and difficult situations. Mm -hmm. So being inside of big companies, being working international, you learn how to deal with different cultures mm -hmm. and be respectful of different cultures. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really important also, especially in our country where we live, our country demographics are changing. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not all of one kind that's going to be sitting in the conference room and in the boardroom when you're working on complex problems. But that's a good thing mm. because based on people's cultures and past experiences, they come at answers to those problems from different ways. So when you combine all of those experiences, different cultures, you come up with better solutions and answers. Mm. What do you think people would be surprised most about the day-to-day -day of running a company? Like, What would surprise them? I think they would be surprised at how many times you go from tactical to strategic in one hour. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. Okay. So in the course of one hour, I'm looking at cash for next week, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Pretty tactical. Mm -hmm. Then in the course of that same hour, I'm thinking about, okay, new products that the team wants to build, take to market, so that we can be ready for 2020, 2021. Planning that far in advance. Right. Huh. Okay. Um, for you, what keeps bringing you back to entrepreneurship? So you said you've done, you know, you've done corporate and you did a startup before. What brings you back? Actually, I never left. Oh. So when you think about, and you don't know all the roles that I've had in corporate, but most of them were pretty entrepreneurial inside of large corporations. I like building. Mm. I like building new things. I like applying new technologies to business problems. Mm. So that's what always keeps me coming back. Mm. Um, and when we, when I first walked in, I got all in your business looking at your engagement ring because I was like, it's beautiful. Um, so one of the things that, that we, I said we would talk about is the idea of work-life balance, right? How do you manage, well, one, do you feel like you have balance managing a really full career, but then also you obviously have a life outside of, of your day-to-day, -day, like your job? So how do you find that balance? Or how do you make sure that both of those or those balls are in the air at the same time one isn't being dropped? So sometimes you have to blend them together. Okay. Right? Okay. So there are times, in fact, coming up in probably two weeks, I'm going to have one or two of my grandsons with me here in the office for a day. Okay. Um, oftentimes when I'm on vacation, I'm working. Mm. And I'll usually try to carve out the morning that I'm going to do work, mm -hmm. and then in the afternoon I'm going to be and enjoy my family. Mm -hmm. Or late at night I have to do something after, you know, we've had dinner or whatever. So it really is blending the two. It's mm -hmm. not a work-life balance. It's really just figuring out how do you have the time in, integrated with vacation or what you need to do for your family, but also you've got things that are pressing from a work perspective. Mm -hmm. And were you always, did you always have this perspective around the integration or is it something that has 
become more of a priority the more senior you've gotten in your career. So I was a single mom. Okay. And if my daughter was sitting here, she would tell you she remembers me popping CDs in on Saturday at the office while I was at the office and she was watching a cartoon. <laughs> so it's always been that I've had to integrate the work and, the, and my family life. And then where do you fit into all of it, right? How do you make sure that in all of that, that you are still taking care of yourself? Well, I exercise a lot. Okay. That's part of who I am. Mm -hmm. And my family's a big part of it. So me spending time with my family, I feel like that is part of Mm -hmm. doing something for me. Mm -hmm. And also, I enjoy growing my employees and watching them grow. Mm -hmm. That's, um, That's also for me. So I'm in a stage in my career of giving and wanting to um, have the time that I give to my employees, I give to my family, and that fulfills me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then knowing what you know now about what it takes to be successful, whether it's in corporate or running your own company, what are some things that you think young black women on colleges, like college campuses, could be doing to prepare for the transition from being in academic academia to actually working for someone like you? Well, back to what I said earlier, they need to develop the skill of being a lifelong learner mm-hmm. because you always need to be educating yourself on new things. Mm-hmm. That, that's just really, really important. And also asking yourself, not everybody's cut out to be an entrepreneur. So to your point, some people are better to work for an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. learn and see whether they think that they actually can do it. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Um, we have sleepless nights. And, you know, I don't have as many as I did the first time I did it. Mm-hmm. But you do. You are, I mean, you wake up. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I, yesterday, for whatever reason, I had eaten something that didn't sit well with me. But I couldn't sleep. Mm-hmm. So I got up and I thought, oh, I've got a meeting with this big customer. I think I'm going to get up and just do a little research on the competitors. Mm. So you always have to be thinking about, you know, how do you, A, support the customer and grab the customer? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, you know, putting in 4 a.m. I was 4 a.m. when I was doing that. while the rest of the world is sleeping you were up doing research yeah yeah um and then for the young women who are in like you know two three years in are there mistakes or things that you see young black women doing in corporate that maybe their counterparts aren't doing that maybe prohibiting them from moving up or being where they want to be um that they may not be aware of so you know i hear this term bring your whole self to work I don't subscribe to that. Please explain, because that phrase has come up a million times. Well, first of all, the people, your colleagues, are not your friends and family. Say that. (laughs) And there are things and ways that you need to treat your colleagues and support them um, that you might not necessarily do for your family and friends. Mm. So just bring... Half of yourself to work. <laughs> the right? appropriate half. The appropriate half, right? Uh-huh. Because there's etiquette in the office. There's Your team members are relying on you to do your part of the work. 
your personal problems are not necessarily of interest to me as your colleague. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't have to know everything about your personal life, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And so I think that, and also how you dress, Mm -hmm. how you dress your colleagues. So bringing your whole self to work, I don't subscribe to. Mm -hmm. Um, I really do subscribe to be careful thinking about what you've been hired to do, and more importantly, the reliance of your team members and on you to do your job, and in particular, in an entrepreneurial environment. Mm -hmm. Resources are very limited. Mm -hmm. Therefore, when you have one person who is not doing their job, it affects the whole company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So thinking about the role that you play in the success of the organization. And how do you stretch yourself? Don't just come to do that job that you've been hired. How about ask your colleague, you know, I noticed you've been here three nights till 7, 8 o'clock at night because when I left at 6.30, you were still here. Is there something I can help you with? Mm. So, and that, I think that's another thing to touch on, right? So people with promotions and all of those things, I think there are two schools of thought. One is like time served. Like I've been here five years, so I should get dot, dot, dot. Or the per- people who are like, okay, what do I need to the competencies that I need to have for that next level and how am I growing and developing those kind of, um, those parts time, about me. Time served does not do you well in, in most environments, especially in an entrepreneurial environment, mm-hmm. but also hard-charging leaders, they don't look at people that, well, they've been here five years now, maybe it's time for me to promote them. No, I think about... They've been here five years, and let me think about all the things that they've done that have made a positive Mm. progress to where we're trying to get to from a business perspective. So it's contribution over time, sir. Like, what value have you added in those five years? Have you just done your job? That's right. Um, And so what would you advise that people who want to go to their managers to talk about a raise, right? Because that is always a thing, too. Like, I've been here two years. I need a raise and promotion. What should they be thinking about before approaching that conversation? What have you done to contribute to (laughs) to move the business forward? Period. Period. And when I say it, people are like, you're so mean. I'm like, no, nobody cares about the time. It's about nobody cares. And what value will you add? What? How does this new promotion then get us that much further? And and, and one thing that women need to know, young women, you get branded and you want a good brand. Mm. And the brand you want is, I know every time I go to Sally, she's willing to help me. Mm. Or I know if you need help, oh, go to her because she's always willing to help and she's really smart and she's always, she's a self-taught learner. Mm. So go to her. You, you want to be known for going the extra mile, willing to help your colleagues, being collaborative, mm-hmm. and making a difference. How do you balance that with, because I know a lot of people complain, it's like, I'm doing everybody else's job. So how do you balance being um, effective at your job and also being a team player and having boundaries? If you're doing everybody else's job, you delicately need to let people who need to know, know that. Mm-hmm. And it's not bragging, but it's making sure they know that. Mm-hmm. Um because that's a positive. It's a positive, A, because you're, you've demonstrated that you can go cross functions and do many things. Mm. And it's also that you really care about delivering for the business. Mm. Oh, that's framing. I've never thought about it like that. that. So it's just about how you frame what it is that you do. Right. 
learn something new today. Um, so the last question before we get to the lightning round, what is it about the work that you do that brings you the most like pride or joy? Development of people. And in our case, also, the software that we're developing and delivering really can improve the quality of health care and medical care for, in particular, community hospitals. Mm -hmm. So that also gives me pride. Mm -hmm. So the lightning round questions, don't think them, about them too much. It's the first thing that comes to your mind. What's a piece of career advice you wish you'd gotten sooner in your career? Uh, knowing when to seek to understand before being understood. Such a good one. Um, what's the career lesson that took you the longest to learn, but has had the biggest impact on your career? Patience. Work on it. <laughs> what's one book that you could read over and over again? That's a hard one. One book that I could... So I'm an economics reader. Okay. I, and I also like thought-provoking so probably Malcolm Gladwell, Tipping Point. Such a good book. Um, and then the last question is, we know that decisions about your career are typically made when you're not in the room. What do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? That she is a person that gets things done, compassionate, and a good leader. And that's it. Sheila, thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. I tell you all that she was amazing, um, and you guys know that I like to end each podcast with three gems that I um, caught from this good word. And so the first one is that even within corporate, there are still jobs that provide you with the opportunity to be entrepreneurial. When Sheila was in corporate, those are the majority of the roles that she held. And so if that is something that you think you want to do, I would encourage you to explore what opportunities um exists within the organization that you work for. Um, the second thing that she said that stuck out to me is that your colleagues are not your friends and family, which we've talked about, you know, a ton of times at the various events and during the, the different podcasts that we have, but there may be some necessary um, considerations that you have to make because you are in the workplace that you may not necessarily have to make um, with your friends and your family. So keep that in mind when you are deciding how you want to engage with people who you work with. And then last, and I think in my opinion, most importantly, the question that you have to consistently ask yourself is what have you done to move the business forward? If you have clear, measurable ways to answer that question, it can do wonders and wonders for your career. So make sure that that is something that you're always checking in with yourself about. As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can connect with us through the newsletter by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866, or you can join our Facebook group at I Choose the Ladder, or connect with us on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder. And until next time, thank you for listening.